I had a dream about my man last night. <laughs> and my man came by the, the studio. And his name is Buster Rhymes. In effect. Shahid is in effect. Fife did all is in effect. Check it out and give me my spec. I'm moving, yes, I'm moving because my mouth is on the motor. All right, here we go, here we go. Welcome in again to the Deep Cover Podcast. I'm your humble co try host. Is it a try host? There is now. There is now. There is now. So I'm joined by Carrie and Chris. Again, I'm Mike. So, Thanks, everybody, for uh, coming back, giving us another listen. We appreciate all the uh, the positive feedback we got uh, off the last episode. You know, we had taken a, a season-long uh, break, and then we came back and did that one and uh, got a lot, of pe- a lot of positive feedback on that. So we definitely appreciate everybody uh, who listened and uh, kind of hit us up with that. But we're back. Here we are again. And uh, uh, we've, we've got we got some news to talk about before we get into that. Let me just touch touch base with the guys. I'll, I'll check in with Chris first. How's it going, man? Good, man. A little, little somber with the with the news that we got and, you know, the Ravens flock. But, um, you know, it's not the first time we've had a legend leave. No, no, you're right. We definitely going we definitely going to get into Marshall's retirement. Um, man, they, they put together that tribute video. Had me had me, you know, tearing up a little bit. I'm not going to lie. Um, but Carrie, um, before we, before we dive into that, how about you, man? How are you doing? I am not okay. <laughs> <laughs> nah. <laughs> well, yeah, the, the Yonder news definitely, I mean, I guess we kind of should have saw it coming, but you know, when a guy is that good, that long, and when you, when you have a team that you feel like is that close to, you know, hoisting another Lombardi trophy, you definitely want to have all hands on deck, but um, you know, I respect his decision and, you know, doing the best for him and his family. And I mean, to go out on top, I mean, this guy was still, you know, still a top guard in the league. So, um, you know, hats off to him. Yeah. Just, just coming off of another pro bowl. Um, you talk to his coaches, his teammates. Uh, I think we saw a lot of the tributes uh, on Twitter today from, uh, players he went up against on other teams, J.J. Watt, um, Geno Adkins, Cam Hayward. You know, when you see all of the respect, you know, that 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 all of these people paid him um, and not 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 like a real looking back to like, oh, yeah, a couple of years ago, you know, he was that kind of player. really respect this guy. He's like, no, nah, this guy was still a stud, uh, like like you said, Kerry, just in the last season. Uh, and everybody, you know, talked about just how, uh, you know, hard he worked, obviously how tough he was, uh, the kind of injuries and pain that he played through. Of course, he shared the taser story, uh, <laughs> which is crazy. <laughs> this is in itself. Cause, but then but then when he told it, I read about it. Um, somebody wrote about it on Twitter. I, I, I'd like to give him credit, but I can't remember their name. But then when he talked about it, it made more sense because he was like, well, you know, I grew up on a farm and it was no different than getting shot by an electric fence. <laughs> so, so he was like, was no big deal to get shot by a taser. That's the easiest money I ever made. Um, but everybody talked about his toughness. Um, you know, all those those opposing players that I mentioned, they talked about uh, just you knew that it was going to be an all day situation when you were playing him. Right. He, every play for the entire game, you were going to have to bring it because he was going to bring it. 
uh, and, and there wasn't going to be no snaps off. Uh, so um, it was awesome to hear that from, you know, everybody inside the building, but but maybe even more impressive to the people outside the building. So let me flip back over to you, Chris. Um, what are your thoughts about Marshall Yonda, the player? Um, I don't think uh, any any of the three of us doubt that he's a Hall of Fame caliber player. You know, oh, most definitely. Yeah, there could be a little politics about how long it takes a guy to get in or not. But anyway, um, just share, you know, some some of your thoughts about about Marshall Yonda and, uh, you know, what 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 he was, you know, as a Raven. Man, he was just one of those guys that that embodies what the what the Ravens are about. Just, you know, no flash, no glitz, no glamour. He's, the, you know, one of the few guys with no social media. And he's, you know, every day you knew what you were going to get with, with, with Yonda out there on the field. You were going to get a guy that was going to have your back no matter what. And that he was going to go out there and, you know, leave it all out on the field for you. And, you know, we saw that time after time. I mean, there was a, you know, I remember that season where he got, surgery and then came back like three weeks later and it's like this you know you don't see stuff like that every day where guys should be having season ending surgery and they come back three weeks later to play at a high level at that and then how many times did we see him when the Ravens needed him to play a different position and then not just fill the role play it very well so and you know if if you know anything about you know playing the O-line it's not easy to just flip from right guard to left guard because you have to do everything the opposite way. And he just did it seamlessly like it was nothing. So he, he's a guy that will definitely be missed, man. Yeah, I think um, some people tweeted that he played obviously right guard, left guard, right tackle, left tackle, and maybe even lined up at tight end uh, <laughs> in a game. And yeah, I, I, I saw would, a clip of that. His yeah. first snap against the Browns was um, at tight end. Yeah, I think I saw that one. I think that was uh, Brandon Thorne, at Brandon Thorne NFL, I think. He used to be at Veteran Scout, but I think he changed his Twitter handle recently. But uh, if you like offensive line and defensive line play, like the real, you know, sort of, you know, get in the weeds on it, he's your guy. He basically, uh, I tell people all the time, they're like, well, what, what do you mean? What does he do? I say he basically makes like mixtapes for offensive line and defensive line. This is basically what it is. Um, but I remember that season that uh, Yonda uh, had to had to play at right tackle. And when I was thinking about it today, it reminded me of the season like where Jordan had to play point guard. And he averaged like a triple-double for the season. Mm. So it's like you can move from the position, you know, your really natural position where you really play at a high level, move to this other position that – played it, you know, in, in, in a large way in the NFL. And I don't know if that was one of his all pro seasons at right tackle, but he definitely played it, like you said, at a really, really high level. Um, and, you know, it just speaks volumes to his ability and his flexibility. Um, Carrie, you, you talked a little bit about him uh, just on the intro, but let me, let me uh, come to you now. What are your, some, some of your thoughts about, uh, about Yonder? I mean, just, one of the most dominant players I can remember seeing. Um, I mean, just in every facet, in the run game, in the passing game, um, the amount of help he was able to give players. I mean, just think about kind of the turnover that the Ravens have had at center, you know, other than um, Matt Burt. You know, they've 
kind of shuffled in some guys and they're not shuffling in, you know, all pro caliber guys. They're shuffling in, you know, some fringe talents at times, some guys that, you know, maybe aren't the best physically, you know, imposing in, in that kind of nature, but because they have Yonder beside them, um, he's helping them guys be functional. Um, so that is what kind of stands out about him. And then the way his teammates speak about him, not just from a play standpoint, from a leadership standpoint. And, um, you know, a lot of tweets, a lot of um, congratulatory um, videos and different things. But one that stood out to me was from J.J. Watt. You know, this is an all-time great player um, that tweeted about how difficult it was to, to face up against Yonda and, you know, call him a first, first ballot Hall of Famer. That's not something that you typically see, to me, from a guy of that ilk, of that level. You know, a guy that, you know, gives everybody fits. But for him to take time out to, you know, respect Yonda in that way, I thought spoke volumes about um, Marshall Yonda as a player. Yeah, no question. No question. When you get paid that kind of respect from the top defensive players in the league, top defensive linemen in the league, and it was you know, an outpouring. <laughs> you just kept seeing tweet after tweet after tweet from all these different guys, um, you know, who, who talked about just how uh, much of a challenge it was to play against him. They respected him. They didn't like him when they were playing against <laughs> him <laughs> because, you know, it made, made, made their job that much tougher. But they, they respected the hell out of him uh, just because of how he approached the game and you you hear him talk about that and you hear other people talk about that that you know he he tried to play the game the right way right he tried he didn't he didn't do anything to cheat the game he put in the work um you know he paid attention to detail the small things and what was interesting about it was from my perspective uh the way that he did things like you could listen to some of his coaches over over the year uh over the years his position coaches and i remember uh joe delisandra saying this too like with some of the younger players when they come in, you know, when you have a veteran, an established guy like him that, that plays at a really high level, your natural inclination is to want to point the rookies to him. Like, hey, watch him. Watch his technique. Watch how he does this. But then the way that he did things was kind of unconventional. He could do it. Right. It worked for him. But, you know, Delisandris would say that's not really the way that you would coach it. But it was just something about his ability, right, his natural gifts that allowed him to do things in the way that he did things like his footwork and some of the different things they do. So he would almost tell some of the young guys, hey, don't watch him. Right. Because you can't do what he does. <laughs> Only he can do what he does the way that he does. It. Nobody else can do it that way and make it work. If you try it, uh, it's, it's probably going to go badly for you. So, you know, he, he really kind of just owned, um, you know, his his style. You know, uh, everybody, all players kind of have their own individual style. But, you know, a lot of times you you see, you know, similar techniques and, and guys are kind of being taught the same kind of fundamental stuff. But he really, you know, in terms of an offensive lineman, in my mind, is a guy who really owned his his unique play style. 
you know, he did it his way is an unconventional kind of way. They would say about Joe Thomas, Joe Thomas had kind of a different way of doing things and did it obviously at a really, really high level for the Cleveland Browns. But you but other people couldn't do it that way. You know, they would try it and it wouldn't work for them. So I think that also just really, you know, points to just how special a player he was, that he could do things in a way that you probably wouldn't coach it. Uh, but he not only made it work, he did it at an extremely high level. So uh, it's not going to be the same, you know, uh, it's not. without him on the team. And it's that comes a year after Suggs left, you know, and that kind of had that same feeling. Like it just didn't feel the same, you know, without that presence. Now, obviously, Suggs was more vocal and in character and everybody knew that. Um, you know, Marshall really wasn't that that same kind of character. At least, you know, this last year he started to to kind of take more of a vocal um, leadership role. He'd always been a leader, but like more of a vocal role. But still, there's just something about that presence. You know, there's 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 a change when when those 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 big presences uh, who have been on the team for such a long time leave. But the good news, good news um, from the Ravens' perspective. If there can be a good news side to losing a Hall of Famer <laughs> is that uh, I think it was last week. Was it last week or earlier this week that the comp, the compensatory picks were released yesterday? Yesterday, OK, wow. So it was that recent. Um, and the Ravens now have nine total picks uh, in 2020 draft. So uh, I think that pick that people were concerned about, uh, the, comp, the comp pick for uh, C.J. Mosley, where people thought that maybe that was going to go from a third to a fourth because of how much time he missed due to injury actually end up staying a third. It's, it's a, it's a later third than maybe what it would have been, but it's still in the third. And then they did get that additional four. So now they've got nine total picks and um, Chris, I'll come back to you. Um, you got to imagine with at least one of those picks, offensive line is going to be a position they look to address in the draft. Yeah. I mean, it, it definitely has to be. Um, with at least one of, yeah, like you said, one of the first three picks, you you would think they would, you know, spend a premium pick on that that O line because there are questions. I mean, it's not it's not that bad. It's not as dire as it's been in the past, but there are some question marks. Like Patrick McCarry. I mean, we not we saw him play. We you know we saw some you know some pretty good things. I mean, it wasn't that big of a drop off. Um, especially considering that he was an undrafted rookie playing in a position that he hasn't played in who knows how long, because uh, he was a, a, a left tackle like Cal. Yeah, and he's he's playing center in the NFL, and you know, uh, you know, playing on the number one seeds team, and he showed out pretty good. But you know, like we always try to harp on, progression isn't always linear, so we don't know what kind of player we'll be getting next year. Then we have the question of maybe Yonder's replacement, Ben Powers. Ben Powers, we don't really have a clue what's going on with him because he was inactive almost every game last year. And the only action that he saw was against Steelers. But then against the Steelers, he showed out and he played well. And, you know, I know we we talked about it privately before where we there were clips of him in the locker room where he had a, a brace on his hand. So maybe it had to do with an injury. We don't know. We're not privy to that that information. But um, the the draft and free agency they don't lie to us. So what the Ravens, you know, what the Ravens are going to do that that'll tell you everything you need to know about this offensive line. 
So if they go heavy, you know, in free agency and in the draft on the offensive line, I think that'll give you a clue as to what they think about those young guys on the on the interior that they have on the roster right now. Hundred percent agree with that. Uh, the, the the draft and, and the free agency period is where teams tell you exactly how they feel about their roster and, and specifically current positions or position groups on their roster. So um, before we kind of drill down into maybe some specific players at offensive line in the draft, let me hit carry up on that too, on kind of the current state of the Ravens offensive line uh, with, with Yonder's retirement. What do you, what do you think about that, man? Yeah. My, my first thought, um, as it pertains to replacing Yonder was just uh, don't panic. Um, for me, I'm sure the Ravens were well aware that this was a strong possibility uh, well before this report came out that he was retiring. Um, so I think people have to be careful to not all of a sudden start cramming um, interior office alignment into their mock drafts at 28. You know, obviously this is something you take seriously um, they're going to look into free agency. They're going to look at the draft. Um, but I don't think there has to be a drastic change to their approach. Um, this team has a good history of drafting um, interior office of linemen with um, with those non-premium picks and hitting on those mid-round guys. Um, uh, they have candidates on the roster like we talked about with Ben Powers and Gap McCarry coming back. And obviously you're solidified at the tackles. And um, for me, the biggest thing is you're not going to replace Marshall Yonder. The guy's an outlier player. We just talked about that, you know, to start the show. So, you know, they they save uh, seven million with his retirement. This is not a situation where you're going to take that seven million and go find you another Marshall Yonder. You know, that's not (laughs) that's not going to happen. So I think um, Chris tweeted this out yesterday. When you look at the offensive line right now, you know, in March, we got Stanley at left tackle. Bozeman is coming off a strong year left guard. Makari um, right now would be Ben Powers at right guard. And then Orlando Brown Jr. at right tackle. That's not a bad offensive line for March with, you know, free agency coming and, uh, again, nine picks in the draft. Um, you know, that's that's not a bad starting point. We'll see kind of, you know, what they do and, you know, where they finish. But I don't think this is a time to all of a sudden drastically change their, um, you know, their board, their approach, anything like that. Um, I think that, you know, again, I think the Ravens were probably um, pretty well aware that, you know, this was going to be a possibility uh, or, you know, a strong possibility. I mean, you just look at the the press conference. I mean, he he's already lost 40 some pounds. If they, <laughs> if they just bumped into him at the grocery store and looked at how light he was, they're like, yeah, he's not coming back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No question. And 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 Jeff Zreback uh, of The Athletic, he had talked about that at different points through the year, too, um, that he kind of got the sense just from being around the team, being around the coaches that this was something that was, you know, uh, a likely possibility at the end of this year, regardless of how the season ended. 
And, you know, Yonder pretty much confirmed that today in his press conference. And really, it even went back to the end of, of last year. I think he even said 2017, I think, was the first time that he had started thinking about it, um, that, you know, as the injuries were were mounting, um, that his body was kind of telling him, like, hey, it's it's probably getting close to time. Um, and then I think he said he, he told his family and some people close to him uh, going into the 2019 season that this was going to be it no matter what. So I definitely agree with you that um, it, it probably didn't catch the Ravens organization um, off guard. Right. I'm sure they probably had an idea. And um, before I bounce back over to, to Chris, um, because they had that idea, you got to imagine that they were doing their due diligence anyway, right? Going into a draft, they're always going to prepare and, and scout regardless of, of whether they think they're going to lose players at a potential, you know, at, at, a, at a, a certain position. But there's some there's some guys, you know, I think th- this this draft class, this offensive line group in the draft class, the, the tackle position is kind of the one where you see, you know, you hear there could be as many as four or five guys that go in the first round. But there are some interior guys probably in the mid to later rounds um, that, you know, have some ability and, and, and could could develop, you know, over time. And I know one guy you mentioned, Kerry, that you you would looked at was uh, Jonah uh, Jackson from Ohio State. Yeah, he he popped for me um, on tape like uh, Harrison did for their defense. Mm-hmm. Um, I was very, very impressed with him. Um, very sound player, just a guy that you you could tell he knew what was going on. Um, very easy mover, uh, intelligent. Um, I think he had some nastiness to um, his game as well. Um, really, really strong uh, pass protector. And, um, you know, will, will put his body on the line uh, to make a block, you know, in the run game. So I'm still trying to kind of narrow down where his draft kind of range is. I'm thinking he's probably in that you know, maybe late second, early third, and, you know, maybe, um, you know, t- a little too low, but I think he's a guy that would be a very, very quality pick in that range. And I think um, he was a Rutgers transfer that, that um, I know he played left guard for um, Ohio State this year, but I think he's, he's played left guard, center and right guard over his career. Um and maybe even a little bit of tackle. I'm not sure on that, but I know he's played all three interior um, positions. Um, so v- very, very impressive guy um, for me. And we know, uh, like a lot of teams around the league, but but Ravens maybe maybe even more so, uh, they covet versatility on the offensive line and in other positions too. But we we know they they like guys who can play multiple positions. It just makes sense, right, from a game day. Uh, roster management standpoint you can only activate so many guys and so you know your offensive line if you got a guy who can play multiple positions that's a, you know you basically can save uh, a spot right you can activate a guy at another position because that one guy can cover two spots from you you know if he can if he has the versatility to play more than one position on the old line now now chris i i know that uh we talked and and you looked at a handful of guys and, and saw some guys that you like too and uh, we were talking a little bit about the Michigan offensive line, and they, they've they've got a couple of guys um, who who may all get drafted from that line. 
Yeah, they got a, a nice trio there in the in the middle of their defense. Um, starting off with uh, the probably the most highly touted guy that they have there is uh, Cesar Ruiz. Um, he's he's a guy that's getting a lot of first round love right now in in mock drafts, and um, I'm sure we'll probably see him in some mock drafts going to the Ravens as we go along through this process. Um, but he was a guy that I really liked uh, watching on 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 film because he's just he he's a he's a guy that he's a throw people out of the club kind of guy, and I saw you 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 sent me that clip Mike where he uh where he just takes on uh, a linebacker coming downhill full speed, and when he makes contact with Ruiz Ruiz doesn't even move an inch, and then he kind of falls to the to the ground on one knee. And then Ruiz picks him up and then proceeds to throw him down on the ground again. <laughs> and that was just, that's just one of the, you know, I didn't even see that one that, that you posted out. Um, but, um, and then off the field, all you ever read about is him being, you know, a great guy. And um, someone, uh, one of the, the uh, staff members at Michigan, he said that uh, it's rare to see an offensive lineman have people gravitate towards him like he's a quarterback. He said that's how it was with him from day one. And even digging deep back into his high school days, he moved from Jersey to Florida, and he was able to cultivate that team in his first year and just become that guy on the on a brand-new team in a brand-new state in Florida. He played uh, over at the IMG Academy. And if you know anything about high school football, you know that's the – that's one of the places to go when when it comes to high school ball, and um, he just became like the big man on campus there. So it seems like, and that's the that's the thing that I look for when I'm looking at players too, because we see how much of an emphasis the the Ravens put on character, and with the team that they had and the chemistry that they had, you know that they're going to want to bring in those high character guys that are going to be able to come into the locker room and just you know fit in seamlessly with the core that they already have. And I, I think that's a huge, huge part of the evaluation process for them. I mean, I'm sure it is for every team, but I think with them, they might put, you know, a little bit of extra emphasis on that. Just because when you see the results on the field, I mean, how can you go against that? Yeah. And that's something that we've talked about. Um, we talked about on the last show where just that, that chemistry that you mentioned with, with last year's team. And obviously it's going to be different. Uh, 2020 team the roster is going to be different, but that core, you know, sort of philosophy and uh, chemistry, chemistry is a better word, that core chemistry um, that they seem to have built ever since Lamar has taken over at starter. I think that is something um, that they definitely will want to continue um, because they, they it, like you said, it showed up on the field. I think you can see these guys like playing with each other. They want to play for one another. You know, you talked about Yonda, you know, really, uh, wanting to have his teammates back, right? That was one thing that, something that he wanted all his guys to know that he had their back. So I think that's just something that has been a thread throughout, you know, probably since Ozzy, right, has, has been around the Ravens. And then you've seen it continue with DaCosta. You've seen it continue with Harb. You know, they look for those kinds of guys um, at every position, right, just just in terms of their, their personality and, and what they do um, beyond football. Um before I, I throw out a couple of names, was there anybody else, any other guys you wanted to mention, Chris? Um, yeah, I wanted to uh, talk about uh, another, 
equally athletic guy because I didn't even get into Ruiz's athleticism. He's, mm. you know, he tested, you know, really well for, for offensive linemen. But another guy that's, you know, really athletic is uh, Matt Hennessy, uh, mm. the center at the Temple. Um, him, he's he's one of those guys that, you know, he's a he's an easy mover. He's like, uh, he kind of reminded me of, um, I know you brought his name up earlier, but he kind of reminds me of Garrett Bradbury in a way. Mm. Um, just really athletic, very flexible and nimble. Um, there was one play where he's pulling and um, his left guard kind of gets pushed back. And he's able to maneuver around his left tackle. And then he kind of like put, plants his foot into the ground like he's a running back and hits a hole between the left tackle to go to the second level and make the, the second level block for the running back. And it was a really, really impressive play. And, uh, you know, that's the type of stuff you don't really see from, you know, a, a center who can move like that. And um, I was doing some digging and I found out that his freshman year, he felt like he was a little bit stiff. When he was on uh, when he, his first year at Temple, so what he did was he took up hot yoga lessons, and he's been doing yoga ever since. And he said it's a big part of him getting stronger, him improving his mobility, and just having functional strength on the football field and the balance that he has. Yeah. And it's like this guy was a freshman, you know, thinking outside the box of what can what he can do to get better as a football player. And we talk time and time again where, you know, unfortunately, we have to bring up Tim Williams, where maybe a guy is not, you know, doing all that he can do to get better. And we see this guy as a freshman in college, you know, you know, taking the unbeaten path and trying to do yoga. You know, we never hear about, you know, these two college kids doing yoga, but he was in there doing hot yoga with, you know, small little housewives. And, uh, <laughs> And um, it it just shows you like that that just shows you like what how bad he want he wanted to get better, and what he was willing to do, and you know it, it paid off because he was he in Temple they have this thing called Temple Tough where the guys have a, a single digit number and uh, Tavon Tavon yes, Young was one of those guys that yeah. he had that that single digit number, and if you know anything about Temple those numbers you know that's like that's like gold to those players that's what they strive for to get that respect of their teammates. And uh, he was one of those guys that got it. And, you know, that, that goes a long way. I mean, because that, that's voted by the team. And that means everyone on the team was like, damn, this guy outworks everybody. And, you know, it's just, it, it shows you how, how, how much he wants it, how much he wants to get better. And I think that's a, another thing of the evaluation process that, you know, we have to take into account is the want to get better, not just I'm good. You know, I'll show up to practice. I'll, you know, do the bare minimum, but I'm going to, you know, go above and beyond and, you know, go out of my way because I want to be a great player. Yeah, I mean, that's that's like a, a, a professional approach um, while you're still in school. <laughs> And, and like you said, even going back to when he was a freshman, so coming in 18, 19 years old, already sort of assessing your game and kind of seeing where you're at and where, you know, you, you feel like you might have some weaknesses and where you want to improve. Um, it's a very it's a very professional approach uh, to to, you know, to his craft. And so I definitely think um, that that adds to the evaluation and, and you sort of give those guys a plus 
when you read those stories and you hear about guys looking to improve in those ways, um, you know, sort of unprovoked. Right. I mean, obviously they, they probably get feedback from their coaches, I'm sure, about things to work on or, or how to get better. But to, to do that on your own, right, to just, you know, have the, the self-awareness uh, of your game, your own game um, is something that um, I've heard my son, 13 year old son, plays basketball and you, know, you play on these AAU teams and you, you talk to these coaches and one of the coaches that, that he's had uh, talk to him and the team about that saying, hey, this this it's your game, right? You own this game. And so it's your responsibility uh, in terms of how much better you want to be. You know, what do you want to do with your game? Right. I, you, you should be able to know where you're weak and then you know, the kinds of things that you need to do to improve. And they say, you know, you're going to have to reach out to some other people because you don't know it all. You're young. You have to reach out to some other people to kind of help you learn some things. But the seed that he was trying to plant was, I want you to always be self-aware and be able to assess your game so that as you get older and you play and you get better, when something goes off the tracks a little bit, you'll know how to get it back right in the game. You won't necessarily or, or maybe maybe in a practice, maybe you can't fix it in a game, but you, you realize you know, that you, you've got something you got to work on, but you know what you need to do. So don't turn to this person or that person to tell you, you know, what you need to do. Right. You need to be and have some some awareness of your own game. Um, that's, you know, obviously going off the rails a little bit. But that's <laughs> hearing you hearing you say that about about Hennessy made me maybe think about that as you hear coaches. And the more you listen to coaches, even in different sports, you start to hear themes right that cross over from from sport. Uh, to sport. Um, let me let me throw a couple names out real quick. And then, you know, either one of you guys can can jump in on a name if, if you hear something and want to want to comment on a name. But um, I primarily watch the guys at at the senior bowl. Um, it's just kind of my process when I start watching draft uh prospects i look at seniors because those are the guys that you know are draft eligible and then you know the underclassmen declare later and if if i can squeeze it in i'll go back and try to watch some of them but a lot of times i I, i'm i'm just doing like a real cursory kind of watch on them but i really try to dig in on the senior bowl guys not just because they're seniors and not just because you know they they tend to invite a lot of good players look at the ravens draft history they're gonna take two or three guys from the senior bowl every year This this is what they do um they're not alone in that. You know, other teams around the league also like to take players out of senior bowl. I mean, most of those guys will go in the top 100 typically, you know, from the senior bowl roster. But Ravens seem to really like guys at the senior bowl. Um, so I looked at a, at, at a bunch of these guys a little more closely. So um, you've got the LSU, uh, the LSU guys, the center, Lloyd Cushenberry um, and the guard, Damian Harris. Those two really stood out to me, um, particularly when I was watching the Oklahoma game, because you kind of got a two in one. We talked about this before when you get to watch a bunch of players all in one game. So you get those two guys and you also get to see Neville Gallimore. You get to see Patrick Murray, you know, on the Oklahoma side and Gallimore. Kenneth, Kenneth, you, you, you smashed them together. You said Patrick Murray. <laughs> I like both of them. How about Kenneth, how about Kenneth Murray and and not talk about uh, Patrick Queen because he wasn't facing his own offensive line. <laughs> what stood out to me was they kind of stymied Neville Gallimore early on, um, particularly Cushenberry and Lewis. And when you look at their arm length and how they measured at the combine, I think Cushenberry was like 34 inch arms 
and um, Lewis was like 33 and, and, and maybe a quarter or three eighths or something like that. And you could and I was watching that game before the combine, so I didn't have the measurements. But you could see that show up on film like mm-hmm. he would rush. And it's like, whoa, like he was getting touched before he expected to get touched. It was like that. Nobody's supposed to be able to touch me yet <laughs> from this position. But the arms aren't supposed to be able to reach and do that. And he kind of adjusted as the game went on. And, you know, by that point, things were kind of out of hand. But um, early on, I think it really kind of affected him because he just did not expect to have hands on him from that distance. Um, So that kind of length can be a real asset uh, um, on the offensive line. Uh, Jumping back to a Michigan guy. I know you probably took a look at this guy, too. Ben Bredesen. uh, He's another guy that I like. you know, probably not on the same athleticism scale um, as a guy like like Ruiz um, in different positions. But still, um, he's probably maybe a tear down in terms of athleticism, but just nasty, just plays with that nastiness that you like to see from offensive linemen, always looking to finish a block, always looking to give a little extra uh, to whoever he's blocking, um, you know, at on every play, like, you know, playing to the echo of not that. Not just to the whistle, but to the echo of the whistle. <laughs> just that little bit of extra. Uh, and I always like to, to see that um, in guys. Um, two guys I, I had looked at that I hadn't really thought about during the season, but the um, the Clemson guys, um, John Simpson and uh, what's the other guy's name? Archum, I think. Tremaine, or, or, yeah, Tremaine Antrim. Antrim. Simpson kind of kind of caught my eye too. Um, Antrim was at was 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 playing a tackle position, so I I admit I didn't I didn't spend a ton of time on the tackles considering the the Ravens um, starters at that position. They're going to need some depth there, so I'm, I'm not saying it's not important to look at tackle, but um, I was looking more at Simpson at guard and another guy, kind of a power player. You know, seems to fit that mold of kind of what they want to do on offense. Um, a guy who wants to get in to defenders. And, you know, really, really try to get into that that phone, that wrestling match in a phone booth um, kind of guy. Um, so he he kind of caught my eye in that way. Um, and I think those are the guys that I had in my notes. that really kind of stood out. Obviously, there were other guys there who played well. Um, oh, uh, Shane Lemieux from Morgan uh, and Logan, Stein, uh, Logan Stenberg from Kentucky. I kind of had notes on those guys. Lemieux, another guy who I think he, he's, he's gotten knocked a little bit from, for his athleticism. Was, eh, I don't know if he's got enough athleticism to play in the league. And he was playing next to, um, an all world left tackle, uh, oh, yeah. guy, Morgan, who's, who's amazing already. Uh, and, and so some people were looking at that, but to me, Lemieux just looked like a solid dude, right? Like one of those guys who, is probably not going to get drafted early, mid, late round. He's going to come in. He's going to work. He's going to develop. And he's just going to turn into a solid player. Does that mean he's a starter or a rotational guy? I don't know. But he's just going to be one of those kind of solid guys that is always going to have a place on a team. Uh, Stenberg, um, probably a little bit more of a later round guy, but good size. Moved well, in my opinion, for his size. I know he didn't necessarily test to that, but He's listed as six six over three hundred pounds, and I thought he moved really well for for a guy that's tall for a guard. Um, but I thought he moved really well. So those were the guys that kind of stood out to me. Um, and you know, you guys feel free to comment on any of those, or if you don't, if you're ready to kind of kick this thing, because we talked about kind of tying this to free agency as well, we can move right into that if if you guys are ready to do that. I I have one guy. 
that I know I know the majority of people that are listening to this are are probably Ravens fans. And I think this guy, if they just watch him, I think they'll fall in love with him. And I, I've only watched one game of his, but I fell in love with him right away. And uh, his Nick Harris from uh, Washington, he's just one of those try-hard little meatball guys who, you know, isn't overly athletic, but he's just going to give you everything he has on the field. And he's going to battle you and battle you and battle you. And he's just going to be one of those guys where, you know, defenders are just going to be like, damn, this guy just doesn't go away. He's like a cockroach. No matter what I do, he won't go away. And I think he's a guy that if Ravens fans, though, you know, because everybody loved Ryan Jensen. And, he, you know, he has that same kind of like bravado about him on the field where he's not he's not going to back down and he's going to be scrappy with with you, you know, down in and down out. I think that's definitely the mindset that you want to see. Um, in an offensive lineman, you know, a guy like you said who is not going to back down. You know, he's he's going to fight and scrap on every play because, for, you know, for for what they do, as much as they work on technique, and they do. I mean, they 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 might work on as much technique as as any of the other position groups on either side of the ball, and you know, because what they do has to be so coordinated with the other guys, you know, that that they're playing alongside on the line. Uh, it's not always going to be perfect, though, you know, because things are moving, things are changing, guys are doing things that you don't maybe necessarily expect or they end up in a place where you didn't necessarily think they were going to be. And you, so much of it is reactionary, too. Um, and so you need guys with that mentality who are just going to fight and scrap every single play because it's not always going to be perfect. It's not always going to look the way that you drew it up on the board or the way you you kind of repped it out in practice. But, you know, you can't you can't just throw in the towel. Right. Because it doesn't it doesn't look that way or it doesn't work that way. You got to keep fighting and you got to find a way to get it done. So it sounds like he's that kind of guy. And uh, that's definitely something that I would want um, to see in, in any any player they take, particularly somebody on the offensive line. But, yeah, let's let's jump in to free agency um, a little bit. And it's right around the corner. I think like you, you reminded me, Chris, is starting on Monday. So um get to get into the whole legal tampering situation. Um, the reports will be flying fast and furious <laughs> about the deals that are reported, right? The deals have been reported. They've agreed to terms in principle. You can't, you can't, it's not official, right? Until after that, that three day uh, tampering, tampering period is over with. But um, let me, let me bring Chris back in and I'm, yeah, I'm, excuse me, Carrie back in and we, we won't limit this Carrie just to offensive line. Let's, we can just broaden this out since free agency is right around the corner. Um, you can talk about offensive line, certainly if you want, but if there's other positions, um, or just an overview of free agency, take it however, you know, whatever direction you want to take it in. Okay. Well, I'll hit on a couple, um, guys since they, um, you know, they're Ravens, um, kind of targets that we've heard, you know, since the Yonda retirement was announced and just give my overall thoughts. Um, we have uh, Colecchio Simile first. Um, you know, there was a report out there, I think, from uh, Mike Garofolo that he wouldn't be surprised if the Ravens had interest in bringing uh, KO back. Um, so that would be an interesting option. Um, he left Baltimore as, as, you know, one of the very best guards in football uh he's battled some injuries since then and you know he had the issue with the shoulder um last year that he 
you know, had surgery on and Jets didn't want him to have surgery on it and they wound up releasing him. So um, that's something to monitor his health and just where he is. And, you know, if he's even interested in, in coming back to Baltimore, I know he had some um, issues with the way things ended. Um, and I think that was more so um, him kind of taking it personally that the, the Ravens didn't, I guess maybe step up to his liking to try to keep him. Um, but I think guys have to be careful, um, especially when it comes to the Ravens, because they're just one of those teams that they let the market, you know, dictate, you know, where the player's value is. And, you know, he got such a big offer and they just said, Hey man, we just, we just got to tip our cap and say, Hey, you know, we're not going to stand in the way of you getting your money, but uh, under our financial constraints, there's something that we can't match. But I don't think it was in any way a disrespect to uh, to KO's uh, contributions to the team or his talent. I'm sure they would have loved to have kept him around. But, you know, again, it's hard to pay a lot of different guys at one time at the top of the market. So I, I think that's kind of how that shaked out. But, um, you know, obviously with Yonda being gone, you know, KO is a guy that would, um, you know, would be of interest um, to the Ravens. And, you know, if he's healthy, um, I think he still has some good football left in him. Another guy that kind of came up, not specifically to the Ravens, but just came up as a guy um, in trade is uh, Gabe Jackson in Oakland. Um, And looking at his deal, um, this is per over the cap. um, He has twenty eight point seven million. Uh, left on his contract over the next three years. Uh, interesting thing about it is, you know, all the guaranteed money has already been paid on that contract. So uh, the rest of his deal is completely um, uh, non-guaranteed. Um, you know, that obviously that will be of interest to teams. Uh, my question with this one is you a, a team like the Raiders um, built off running the football and, um, you know, have a pretty good old line. And they have $56 million in cap space. Um, so if they have that level of cap space and he's a good player, um, you know, why are why is his name coming up in, in, in trade talks? Um, you know, that, that kind of gives me a little bit of pause. Uh, I know he's been battling through injuries the last couple of years, so he hasn't been quite at the level that he was previously. Uh, but you have to give him credit for battling through those injuries and still continuing to play. Um, so I think from the Ravens perspective, that'll just come down to, you know, what the compensation is. Um, if it's going to be for a day two pick, um, I'm probably good on that. But if we're talking high day three pick, I think that's something that we can, um, we can talk about. So, uh, just wanted to get those guys in there just cause they had been, uh, talked about on Twitter this week as, you know, guys that the Ravens might be interested in and then kind of shifting over to just free agency as a whole um, and just kind of a couple of things I'm looking at. Um, the Buffalo Bills are, are a pretty interesting team to me. Uh, they're a team that has a ton of cap space. Uh, they don't really have any problematic contracts on their books and they have a number of ascending uh, young players. Uh, they are a team that, to me, could really go for it. Um, you look at the the very top guys, the um, you know, if you're looking at edge rushers, you're looking at Clowney and 
um, Yannick Ngakwe. Ooh, Yannick Ngakwe. Um, yeah, Yannick, you you know you there know, you go you know yeah. <laughs> we, know, we know who um, he is. <laughs> uh, Matt Judon, a couple other guys. I mean, pretty much anybody you can name, they have over eighty million dollars in cap space. They can get involved with any of these guys. Um, but a guy I'm looking at specifically for them, and it's been thrown out. You know, a couple different people threw this out, and I thought it was interesting. Um, what about Chris Harris Jr.? You know, they're a team that is a base nickel team. Um, they will stay in their nickel, um, even against heavy, you know, run citric offenses because they, they value being able to, um, to defend the pass. Um, and they have a top three pass defense. Um, and, but when you look at their team, um, they have a good slot corner situation, but Chris Harris Jr. is the best slot corner in football. So, to be able to add him to that pass defense would just be, you know, would put them among the the very best as far as teams that can match up with uh, Kansas City. Um, so Buffalo is a team that I'm going to be watching to just kind of see what they do in free agency. They have a lot of free agents, but they're in a situation where they have good guys that they can bring back or they have options to bring better guys in and free agency uh and that's along the offensive line and on the defensive line so be interested to see where they go there um robbie anderson is a guy i'm really interested to see where he goes um he'll have plenty of suitors 26 year old um guy that can stretch the field but you know specifically a team i'd like to see him go is arizona cardinals uh, they played a lot of 11 and 12 personnel as the year progressed last year, but we know Kingsbury and that that's not really what he wants to do. He did that out of necessity because they really didn't have enough guys that were worthy of snaps to play that base four wide receiver set, um, that he wants to. Um, but they had a guy like Robbie Anderson to give them some juice on the outside. You know, Kyler Murray throws a great deep ball. And if you mix him in with, Christian Kirk and fits in the slide. And then you let um, Andy Isabella and Hakeem Butler, a couple guys from last year, battle it out for that fourth spot. Um, Now we're talking about something different with that offense. And you might be able to kind of see that offense kind of fully formed um, and kind of live up to, you know, kind of what we thought that they were going to be going in. And then uh, one other guy, to me, this is like an unheralded guy that, you know, I just want to give some love is our Trey Boston. He's a guy that's had to wait around the last couple of years to get a deal. Um, but he's he's a legitimate center field um, free safety in the NFL. Um, last couple of years, he's been productive, um, you know, gets his hands on balls, um, you know, plays a, a lot of snaps. And he's a guy that I think could help a lot of teams. So I'll be interested to see what his market is this year. And if he gets um, a deal that kind of lands him some security. Um, I mean, even we, you know, we don't know what's going to happen. Kind of tie this back in with the Ravens. We don't know what's going to happen with Brandon Carr. Um, If they do decide to move on from Brandon Carr and Boston is kind of waiting around. Boston is a guy that I think could play a deep safety role for the Ravens in sub package in that dime and allow um, Chuck Clark to still play 
that um that up roll that that dying back roll so you know those are a couple of my thoughts um uh, heading into our free agency man that's a thorough breakdown right there you covered a lot of ground i'm, I'm not even gonna try to recap or nothing i'm just gonna go right to chris because i'm like hey, carry carry hit all the points there there ain't nothing i can add that's uh, not fair. I don't know how I'm supposed to follow that. <laughs> you just gotta do you, man. We we already know from, from DFS season we can't we can't be careful. That's right. Uh, we just gotta be us. So yeah, let me let me let me let me hit you, Chris, on on free agency. Any any overall thoughts? It could be back to offensive line. It could be overall any anything, man. What do you what do you think? So a guy that um that you actually brought up before we started recording, Mike, is uh, Graham Glasgow. And um, he's a guy that offers a lot of versatility. And um, I was reading a few a few articles about him yesterday where a lot of Lions fans and a lot of the Lions beat writers, they just they don't understand why the Lions are letting this guy walk. <laughs> and um, it's like, you know, he came in, you know, seems like a fan favorite kind of guy, um, you know, played at a at a you know fairly high level. And he offers versatility to play, you know, all three spots on the interior. And they're just letting him go. And that just sounds like a guy that the Ravens, you know, I don't know what his price tag would be. Um, but that just sounds like the kind of guy that the Ravens would want on their offensive line. Because we all know they love that versatility. And then another guy that I was looking at, not on the offensive line. This is a guy that I'm looking at. Well, I have two guys that I'm looking at that offer special teams, um, some special teams play. And the first one is Cody Latimer. Mm. Now, Cody yeah. Latimer, he's a guy who has, you know, he came in, you know, former second round pick uh, with the Broncos before Peyton Manning ruined him. Then, uh, <laughs> and he's, you know, he's been making his money on special teams. And, you know, he'll occasionally, you know, line up on the outside, play the X receiver role for the Giants. And, you know, he's shown some flashes, especially in the preseason. He's shown some flashes last year. But um, he's a guy that I think, could fill in for that Chris Morrow because I don't think that uh, a lot of people are taking uh, the loss, well, potential loss of Chris Moore as serious as they should. Um, he's a really valuable special teams player for the Ravens. And, you know, losing him, that's, you know, that's nothing to scoff at. I mean, everybody just, you know, thinks about on the, you know, on the offensive side of the ball. But as a special teamer, he's been phenomenal since his rookie year like he's probably been the best or if not one of the best special teamers that they have on their team and um staying on the special team team uh another guy that everyone knows about his special team prowess is uh matthew slater he's a guy that's going to be on the market now too and you know with, with john harbaugh you know his antennas are up when you see a guy like matthew slater who's been to like 20 Pro Bowls, it seems like, as a special teams player. Uh, that, and, you know, the value that the Ravens put in it. And they, they kind of had a dip this past season in their special teams play. And, uh, you know, bringing in a guy like that, I think, could really, you know, solidify that, you know, at least, you know, that part of the, the game when it comes to having a gunner and, uh, you know, someone that you could, you know, count on as the leader of the special teams unit, especially with you know, Anthony, Anthony Levine possibly leaving too. Um, then another guy that's been linked to the Ravens is Derek Wolf. And um, with this one, I'm not too sure because I'm not, I'm not too familiar with 
how you know how much his play has declined over the years because I know he's a guy that's had some some injuries over the last few seasons. But uh, he's the only guy that I've read that's been linked to the Ravens um, as far as like visiting with the team. But um, what I've seen floating around is his asking his the base for his his asking price is nine point five million. And uh, I'm not sure. I was wondering if you know I defer to you guys. Do are you guys aware of you know how he's been playing over these last few seasons and if you know a price tag of you know north of nine point five would be worth it for him? I've had an opportunity to to kind of watch him indirectly um, when I was doing some reports for the scouting academy last summer. One of the guys we had to write up was their safety, uh, Justin Simmons, Broncos safety. Mm-hmm. Um, and so even though I was focusing on Simmons, who I love, actually, yeah, he's he's well, I was about to say he's probably going to be too pricey for them. But I, I this time last year, I would have never thought that they would get Earl Thomas. So, I mean, I guess you never know. But I really liked him uh, coming out of Boston College. And, and I think he's he's developed. But anyway, watching him, I got a chance to kind of indirectly watch Derek Wolf, too. You know, cause sometimes you're watching a player and other guys just pop. Right. You're not even looking at them. You, know, you might not even know their name, per se, but you just see a number. You see a jersey number. and You're like, man, this guy keeps kind of popping and making plays. So. I think he's he's still playing at a at a pretty uh, a pretty solid level. Um, he he strikes me as a Ravens type of guy on the defensive line. He'd probably be a rotational type of guy. Uh, he's a little bit older. He's thirty years old. Um, but you know, uh, lunch pail, you know, blue collar, hard hat, all all of those you know descriptors for just a guy who just shows up every day and does his job. Um, and and can can do even a little more than that from time to time can can flash and and actually, you know, create some plays from time to time. But just as a baseline, I mean, I think you're going to get a guy who is going to be there who you can count on uh, to do what he's supposed to do, be where he's supposed to be. So uh, now is that something you probably, you know, feel great about, you know, that asking price for, you know, it's, it's all going to depend. I mean, for the Ravens, maybe not. You know, maybe maybe they feel like that um, might not be uh, a price that they're comfortable with for that type of player. Um, but they're, you know, when we go into free agency, we know how crazy that market can be. And so there, there probably will be some team uh, that is willing to do that. So for the Ravens, I don't know, but I definitely think that he still is playing at a pretty uh, a pretty solid level. And he we talked about this, too. I'll, I'll just kind of springboard. I use him to kind of springboard off this. But we talked about some of the interior um, defensive line free agents that are out there. And, of course, people know the big names, um, you know, Chris Jones, but he's not getting out of he's not getting out of Kansas City. Uh, well, there's a lot of other guys. We talked about Javon Hargrave, a guy that I think as Ravens fans, we all know from watching Pittsburgh, play, seeing them play Pittsburgh twice a year. You know, just a big, powerful, stout guy on the interior. But you can just go right down the list, man. And there's guys um, in terms of interior defensive line players that are coming in all flavors. You know, whether you want a pass rush type guy, whether you want a run stopping type guy, Um you know, you got your Malik Collinses on the pass rush side. You got your Ashawn Robinsons on the run stopping side. Um, you know, there's a bunch of guys and they're all, you know, 26, 25, 24 years old. 
Uh, it's kind of crazy uh, to see so many young guys uh, at defensive tackle or, or kind of interior defensive line position kind of coming on the market, potentially coming on the market. Again, this is all pre free agency and, and these guys could be retained um, by their teams. And, you know, actually, I should throw that. I should th- I should mention that because if you're tuning into this episode, definitely go back and check out the first episode. I mean, you should do that anyway, regardless. But I mentioned it here because we talked a lot about the Ravens free agents, guys who are, who are on the Ravens teams who are out for free agency and kind of our thoughts on those guys. So as we're talking about it and maybe you're wondering, hey, how come they're not talking about those guys? We covered those guys uh, a little bit more in depth on the last episode. And, and basically, you know, the takeaway was, well, when you're 14 and two, you, you probably want to bring back a lot of those guys uh, that were part of that team. <laughs> um but yeah, just just on the defensive line, man, the interior guys, there's a lot of guys uh, out there in free agency who I think um, the Ravens could possibly be interested in. Because there's so many, um, I think there's going to be some opportunities to get those below market deals. And we know in free agency, that's kind of been the Ravens' MO. You know, they're, they're not necessarily going to make the big day one, day two, day three splash, um, but they're, they're kind of going to sit back, be patient. Um, you know, they have their targets. They have specific guys that they target at specific prices. And, um, you know, I always say it's like going into the store and they go immediately back to the, the clearance section. Right. They walk past <laughs> all the regular price stuff. And they just immediately walk back to the clearance section. And that's where they start shopping. Now, that's not to say that they don't, you know, come back and, and look through the regular price stuff. But they kind of just peruse. And they say, you know, I'm just going to hang out back here in this clearance section. And I'm going to find me some deals back here. Or if I don't, then I'm just going to keep my money in my pocket. And I'm going to walk out to another store. Um, so that's kind of been their approach uh, with Ozzy, um, even though, you know, Earl, Earl Thomas was a big signing last year and one that kind of seemed like it came together quickly. Um, if you listen to how Earl talked about it, he, he didn't really think the Ravens were that interested in him until like the last minute. You know, he thought he's going to be in Kansas City, which is kind of ironic considering they won a Super Bowl. But. Um, <laughs> but that kind of that kind of came together at the last minute. So it's always interesting to watch the Ravens operate in free agency because as 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 fans, as you know, people that are in the fan base, I think you kind of see it every year. Those first couple of days, maybe even the first week, people freaking out, right? Because the Ravens aren't doing anything, and they're seeing all <laughs> these other guys get signed. And, seeing some of their players, their own players get inside and you and you see just the, the sheer panic on Twitter uh, about they're not signing this person. They're not doing anything. What are they going to do this year? And then as free agency goes on and they do start to, you know, sign their guys to their kinds of deals, then, you know, it, it, it totally flips. Right. And everybody's like, oh, yeah, this is a great sign. And we knew, you know, I had I trust Ozzy, you know, I knew it. <laughs> Trust Eric, you know, I knew they were going to they were going to show up. So it's, it's just funny for me to sit back and kind of watch that every year. But we we know we know that they put together this plan. They always talk about the trip down to Jupiter, Florida, right, to, to Bashadi's place down there. And they, they put together their plan, not just for free agency, but for the draft and really almost for the upcoming season. Just, you know, how they're going to approach, you know, roster management and, and different things. So we know they got a plan. Right. And they have one every year. And um, last year, they probably executed the plan about as well as they as they possibly could, not just in free agency, but even the, the, the moves that they made in season, um, which, you know, really helped kind of reshape and, and mold the defense. So 
Uh, don't panic. No need to panic out there. I know none of you, you, you two guys certainly won't panic, but you know, for anybody out there, you know, don't, don't get sucked into that. Right. When you don't see anything happen in those first couple of days, you, you know, that, um, you know, the, this team is in good hands, you know, from a roster management standpoint. Yeah. They, they didn't go 14 to two by accident. No, <laughs> right. I got a feeling these guys know what they're doing. And, uh, have a have a plan if nothing else you know i think that's the biggest thing is that they they have a plan i think that they have um you know probably i think people sometimes will say well they have a number right they they know what they want to pay a certain guy i i imagine it's probably more of a range than than one specific number you know probably probably a range that they're comfortable with uh paying a guy in and they also are are not um, afraid to to let certain players test the market, right? Hey, go out there and see what you can find. You know, they they've obviously had some negotiation, and I, I imagine they probably, um, you know, submit an offer to that player and say, hey, here's what we're thinking, and and, and if this is something that you know you, you'd like to see if you can you can go out there and beat it, find a better deal for yourself. By all means, you know, go out there and and do that. Uh, we've heard that reported with Jimmy Smith, right? The Costa spoke at the combine. He, he feels like Jimmy's going to test the market. So, you know, they don't they don't seem to panic. You know, like John Harbaugh says, don't blink. <laughs> you know, they don't they don't get nervous in these situations about losing guys. It happens. Um, you know, I, I, I will. I won't lie. I panicked a little bit when Suggs left that I, I was a little panicked last year when that happened. How, how could you not? <laughs> that would panic me a little bit. Uh, just because I love that guy man, as a player, just he's he's an amazing player um, to to watch. So I panicked a little bit. But then I, I think you... I think my top my top panic moment for them was uh, when they signed um, what's the wide receiver's name that from Washington, uh, where they uh, basically voided the contract after the physical. Oh yeah. Oh Ryan um, Grant. Ryan yeah, Grant. Ryan yeah. Grant. There we go. Grant. Um, I think yeah, he's yeah. with the Colts now. Uh, also a free agent again. Man, I was I was shook up when I saw that. When I saw that contract, I was like, "Oh no, what's going on with Ozzy?" But then uh, the next day, uh, or like a couple days later, the the contract got voided uh, for the physical. Man, I remember the Ryan Grant saga because when it got announced, that deal was was you know it, it got beat down pretty pretty good by most people in the fan base, and I remember watching his film and I went back and I watched all of his uh, targets and all really I started out as a target, but then I'm watching all of his snaps, right? The whole thing. So even plays where he wasn't targeted, just everything, uh, pass, you know, run blocking, uh, pass plays where he wasn't targeted and I'm studying all these things and I'm charting it, and I'm making notes and I'm cutting up videos and then they void the contract. <laughs> <laughs> and so when he ends up signing with the Colts, I had been posting some stuff even before that got announced. And then Ravens fans were like, hey, you know that he's he, they voided the contract. He signed with the Colts. I was like, well, look, if there are any Colts fans out there who want <laughs> all of this charting data, I'm happy to share it with you. So, you know, now I've, I've learned my lesson. I wait now. Not only not only when they announced the signing, but I got like to give it a, a couple of days yeah. afterwards just to make sure that yeah, I wait. We got to wait until the ink is dry. Yeah, I don't get myself into that Ryan Grant situation because uh, I was I was taking that one on the chin a little bit, too, because I was probably defending him more than than people felt like he should have been defended. Uh, 
that was <laughs> it was a great signing because I don't think it was. I think based on 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 the contract, I don't think it was and and what he had done in the league to that point. I don't think it was great, but I thought that the player had potential. Um, but I was wrong. <laughs> so, <laughs> so not not uh, not the first time. Uh, definitely won't be the last time. But that was definitely a lesson uh, learning for that one. But free agency is fun. You know, it's a fun time. Uh, it's going to be interesting, as everything is right now in the world with the coronavirus. So you're seeing a lot of reports about uh, I, I saw one uh, just today that should, should free agency be postponed. Right. Do you really want all these players traveling around? Um, and, and you've already seen with respect to pro days, uh, who was the two teams? It was the Saints and one other team who pulled I think the Eagles who were pulling yeah. their scout coaches off the road. Um, so it's going to be interesting. I mean, that that. You know, it's a pandemic. It's been officially declared a pandemic. And um, we were talking before the show about the NBA and what happened in the NBA tonight. So it just affects everything. And I don't right now and I, I don't know how it's going to impact NFL free agency. But um, you've got to imagine there's going to be some impact. We've seen it with the pro days and you got to imagine there's going to be some impact on the draft. Yeah, I mean, it's I think they said. Nashville has like 4,000, like over 400,000 people go on there uh, for all three days of the draft. So you have to imagine that they're probably scrambling right now to see what they'll do in Vegas at the draft and, you know, take all the proper precautions and making sure that everybody's safe or even if they'll even have a, a crowd at the at the draft this year. Yeah, which is crazy to think about, but um those are the, the times we're in right now. It's the situation that we're in right now. And uh, it's I hate to end on like such a downer. Uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, hey, look, it's 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 real. Right. And when we've talked about this, the three of us have talked about this before, that as much as we like talking about football and the Ravens and that kind of thing, um, that's not all, you know, that our worlds are are made of. You know, we're all you know, we have families, we have kids. Um, you know, we all have interest outside of football. So that's going to find its way in, into, into some of these shows. You know, I know some everybody can say, hey, I'm not here for that. That's cool. That, that, that's, that's cool. But it's going to find its way in there from time to time. But, hey, look, um, I think it's a good place probably to end it with that. Um, everybody just be safe out there. Right. Be smart. Um, you know, try not to put yourself in any unnecessary risk or anything like that. And um, one thing that you, you know, can do that I don't think gives you any additional risk is listening to Deep Cover Podcast. As a matter of fact, it's probably one of the better things that you can do because you're not coming into contact with anybody physically. (laughs) We're we're, we're not even coming into contact with each other when we record this. Absolutely. We're we're already, uh, you know, taking those kinds of steps, right, to protect ourselves. (laughs) (laughs) No, we didn't even know that's what we were doing. Um, but we're just in different places. So it all worked out. But yeah, but on a serious note, like everybody, you know, just be careful with this out there because it's, it's a very serious thing right now. And, um, you know, just just um, try to use good judgment and be smart. But look, until next time, uh, Mike signing off for Chris and Carrie and uh, we'll get at you guys soon. Craig is in the house. Yes, sir. Pete Rock is in the house. CL is in the house. Ultra Mag is in the house. Nice and smooth is in the house. Big Daddy Kane is in the house. Beat Nuts is in the house. Special Ed is in the house. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. And this one goes out to my man. Thanks a lot, Ron Carter. On the bass, yes, my man Ron Carter is on the bass. And check it out. Going into the 91 decade, up until the 2000 decade, you gotta say, the quest is on. And goddammit, that's the quest is on. And